Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Woo! How are we doing? You guys feeling good? Well, you're looking good, so if you look, if you feel as good as you look, then I guess we're doing okay, right? Amen. Awesome. God, I'm so happy to be here today and to be with you. Uh, my name is Pastor Joey, for any of you that are new today. And again, as Scott said in the, the video, I appreciate his willingness. You know, who said you can't teach an old dog new tricks? <laughs> right? Scott's learning. I'm putting him through the ringer, and, and uh, you know, he's doing awesome. So I appreciate him so very much. And Brooklyn, where are you, Brooklyn? You're hiding somewhere. Break there. Happy birthday, Brooklyn. Brooklyn is one of our uh, media team members. She does a fantastic job helping run the computer, and I will tell you, as Belinda's doing it today, we appreciate those that serve because they make everyone else look good. So if they, they didn't do a good job, then we wouldn't be doing so well. So we, we're just thank, we thank God for you. And uh, so today we are in week two of our series, Monumental, and it was exciting to kick this off last week. Just recognizing and remembering the significance of what God has called us into. The significance of who we are in Jesus Christ. That God wants to use us to proclaim his glory throughout all the earth. That God would use imperfect people to do incredible things. The fact that when we pray, people can actually be healed. Can I give you a little testimony today? Um, I, I just uh, encountered this this week, and I wasn't expecting it, but as, as I try to always do whenever I'm out and about talking with people, I try to be aware of what the Holy Spirit is saying or doing and take advantage of opportunities. And, and uh, at the gym where I work out, there's this, uh, this gentleman and his son that works out there um, all the time. And so I've run into him. I've, I've gotten to know him, Mike and Josh, and, and they... Uh, are great guys. You know when you just meet people and you just, they're genuinely nice. Like genuinely nice people. You just like them instantly. That, that's these two. And uh, every time I come in, they tell me their story. They tell me how he raised his son as a single father and, and different things. And, and Josh is a heck of an athlete. Matter of fact, he's, I think, maybe just as tall as me, but can dunk a basketball. You know, he can like jump like six feet. It's incredible the things that God has him doing. And I'm kind of, uh, he's younger than me, so I'm trying to catch up with him in the gym, and he's like bench pressing 300, and I'm bench pressing, I'm not going to tell you, and, uh, and, and so I'm just like trying to catch up, and so we're always talking about different things. Well, his dad is like his personal trainer, but his dad can't do very much because he injured his back, and he's got messed up discs, he's got all this stuff wrong, he's had surgeries, he's always in occupational therapy and, and therapy, and he just went for another round, another uh, uh, thing at the hospital, and the whole thing of therapy just to be able to uh, walk in, and uh, he, so every time we come in, I get the same stories. They tell me the same things over and over again, which is pretty fun. And, uh, and I have felt for the longest time like a desire to pray for him. And I know how awkward it is for us to pray over each other in here. Talk about laying your hands on another sweaty dude in the gym. Just going to say, you know, but, but God's gracious. He's, he uses imperfect people to do amazing things. So, I got to talking with him, and, and uh, as he's telling me again the story about his back and all the stuff that's going on, I just, I just felt like, okay, here's an opportunity. So I said, hey, man, I've, I've seen 
God do some incredible things. As a matter of fact, Timmy, where are you? Timmy in the back? I use Timmy's testimony almost everywhere I go. Timmy had a shoulder issue. She was, what, a couple of days away from surgery? And she came forward during a service. We prayed for her. God healed her shoulder, and she's never had the surgery. Never needed it. It's an incredible. And full mobility, God's just incredible what God can do. And so I use her testimony all the time. Why? Because testimony encourages faith in other people. And when you hear what God's done in one, it encourages you to believe God can do the same thing in you. And so as I'm talking with them, I'm sharing the story. I'm just like, and so, man, I've just felt for a while just that I needed to pray for you. I just had an opportunity, hadn't seen you in a while. And, and so as I'm offering that, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, man, you know, I believe in prayer. I believe God can do things, but, but yeah, I don't need that. It's just, I've just, and it's just not, you know, it's okay. You know, just pray for me, whatever you want. But I'll tell you the church that I have, and he pulled out his phone and his Bible app. He has the Version Bible app on his phone. He's like, that's, that's all the church I need right there is it's just, you know, one-on-one. And I'm telling you, most people who don't go to church have this in their mind that they don't need to gather with the believers. But it's like having a limb cut off from your body. You might exist, but you're not doing very good. Right? The limb needs to be connected to the body to get the flow of blood to keep it healthy, whole, and strong. And as you are doing your work, you're actually encouraging the rest of the body to do its work well. And so as, as he's sharing this thing, I'm just I'm feeling burdened. I'm like, okay, he's not going to let me pray for him. And so I pulled a trick out of Jesus' book. One day Jesus was talking to a lame man by the pool of Bethesda, and, and the guy's giving all these excuses as to why he's not been healed, and he's, he's kind of like giving Jesus the runaround as to, as to why he's not really believing for himself. Like, yeah, you know, God can heal other people, but I'm doing okay, right? Jesus looks at him and says, do you want to be healed? You know, some people just like dwelling in their misery. Because it gives them purpose. Their life's a mess, and so they feed off their own drama. And so I looked at him, and I was like, do you want to be healed? And he's like, oh, well, I know God can heal me. I was like, that's not what I asked. I said, do you want to be healed? And he's like, well, sure. I was like, well, then let's pray. And I laid my hands on him right there in the gym, and I prayed. And his demeanor before was way different than it was after. And I don't know if God healed him there, but he said that he was feeling much better. His back's feeling much better. And, you know, Josh's son came over later. He's like, dude, I think I, you healed my dad's back. And I was like, I didn't do nothing. I just did the praying. He does the healing. He does it. So we finish our workout. I go home. I haven't seen him for days. Here's the remarkable part. I went into the gym the other day. Went in uh, a little bit later with my wife because she had the day off. And, and uh, so we were there a little later in the afternoon. And the manager, who's an atheist, who I've been witnessing to for years, I just say hi to him. And he says, hey, Joe, I hear you've been healing backs. How would he know? Unless something happened in this guy that made him excited enough to tell this guy. God is moving in this area to plant seeds in this area. So if you would, please pray for Steve. I'm praying for his salvation. Pray for Mike that God continues to work in his life. But pray for Steve's salvation because I'm believing I'm going to see him accept Christ one day. I'm just believing that. We are in a monumental faith. 
We are called for a great significant purpose. God is doing incredible things. And this is what he wants to do through each and every one of you. No one is unique or significant or special. There's not a different Holy Spirit in me than there's one in you. And if God can do it in me, he will do it through you. You just have to step out in faith and let him do it. And you would think with all the stuff that we get to experience, that all the things God is doing, and we talked last week about all that he's done in the world for thousands of years, the way he's shifted cultures, he's been transforming nations. You would think that this whole world would just be itching to come to know this God of ours. But when you look at our world today, our society today, our culture today, it actually tells a different story. We're actually living in prophetic times. Jesus, in, in Matthew 24, verse 10, this is what Jesus said it'll be like in the last days, the last days before his second coming. He says, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. That, that word fall away means to apostatize or, or, or turn away from what you once first believed. This is an epidemic in our world today, in our culture today, in our nation today. Scholars refer to this as the great falling away. Jesus said this is what it would be like, this dramatic rejection of Christ in the last days, this rejection of what people once accepted. And we're seeing this in many realms, not just in the area of faith, but in a lot of things. People are rejecting norms and, and uh, understood traditions and things for, for hundreds of years, but especially they're rejecting it on the religious front. Here's the latest statistics by the Barna Research Institute from 2019. It says young people leaving the church has increased. Now, I want to tell you, young people have always left the church. There, there's been, if you've been in ministry long enough, you know that when kids leave high school, the chances are for them to also leave their faith was at least 50%. In 2019, that jumped from 59% to 64%, which means the majority of students, this is why student ministry is so important, why every church ought to be funneling funds, every person ought to be volunteering, anyone with a heart for the kingdom ought to have a heart for kids, because by the time they leave high school, most often, most likely, the majority leave the faith. 64%. Pew Research also from 2019 shows that up from nine points from 2009, that 17% of Americans in 2009 is now 26% in 2019 now claim to be unreligious. So we went nine points from 17% in 2009 to 26% in 2019. Americans, this nation founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Christian faith that we have in our Constitution, that we come from God, our rights come from God, and the Declaration of Independence, and every charter of every founding colony says something about God, faith, Jesus Christ, and the gospel. That this faith that brought us here and organized us into the greatest nation to ever live, now 26% claim to be unreligious or irreligious. So the question is, is why has there been such a dramatic shift? And I think it's because our culture has begun to think differently. We've begun to think differently. And in, in academia, especially as we have kind of ventured into the realms of philosophy and science, according to philosophy.org, here's what they say about our culture today. 
that philosophy involves the critical analysis of existing assumptions, things that people take for granted. This often includes assumptions about society, institutions, values, customs, and beliefs. Not surprisingly, this can make philosophers very unpopular. Philosophy has been accused of causing nihilism by undermining existing values and beliefs and failing to put anything usable in their place. It's certainly true that philosophy has helped to undermine religion. Even philosophers who are Christians would surely accept that the mere act of questioning God's existence has broken the automatic acceptance of this truth of religion which many people once had. In science, philosophy's estranged offspring has offered convincing alternative ways of explaining the natural world. By weakening religion, philosophy may have contributed to nihilism. Nihilism is simply the belief that everything is meaningless. And not just meaningless, but also the rejection of all religious and moral principles because life is meaningless. So basically, what's happened in the world is academia, the, the, the quest for knowledge and education, we've shifted our focus from believing God as the foundation of culture to now being skeptics and questioning everything. We can't believe anything is true. There's no absolute moral value. There's nothing that we can guarantee because everything is subject to skepticism. And what has that done? It's made life meaningless. And what comes out of a meaningless existence? When life is meaningless, when there's no foundation, even if you believe that, that evolution is what created all of this stuff, that God sneezed one day and, and set everything into motion and evolution's been the process, no matter where you are in the scientific realm, at the end of the day, if there's not something beyond this world giving purpose to this world, there's no purpose for this world. So what comes of a meaningless life without something outside of yourself to give you purpose when there's no logical foundation for anything? Well, in 2022, there have been new studies that show that there's been a rise in mental illness. According to Health Day News, a survey in 2022 says nearly 10% of Americans, or 1 out of 10, suffer from depression. There are many causes of depression clinically. There's personality traits, family history, uh, giving birth, postpartum depression, loneliness, stressful events. But even more recently in our culture, COVID-19 has had a huge impact on depression. Matter of fact, according to U.S. News, they report that sustained high prevalence of depression does not follow the same patterns we observed after previous traumatic events, such as Hurricane Ike and the West African Ebola outbreak. So when you look at catastrophic events worldwide, there's usually also associated with it a, a measure of depression in society. But over time, it begins to kind of fade away. Not so with COVID-19. Senior author Sandro Galea, dean of BU School of Public Health and Robert A. Knox professor, cite, say this, that typically we would expect depression to peak following the traumatic event and then lower over time. Instead, we found that 12 months into the pandemic, the levels of depression remained high. So COVID had an unusual impact on the mental state of the world, jumping from 8.5% of people dealing with depression to a staggering 27.8 people. 
And not only did it increase depression, but the effects haven't seemed to fade away. They've remained, which is also why we see a rise in drug use. According to the NIDA.NIH.gov, they, they ask this question, why do people use drugs? Well, they do it for many reasons. They want to feel good. They want to stop feeling bad. They want to perform better in school or at work. They're curious because others are doing it and they want to fit in. The last reason more common among teens. Drugs excite the parts of the brain that make you feel good. But after you take a drug for an extended period of time, those feel-good parts of your brain get used to it. So you need to take more and more of the drug to get the same good feeling. So drug use is used most often as a way of escape, to escape your problems, to escape your pain. But it quickly makes your life worse because you need more and more drug to get more and more of the escape. Not to mention it puts your life at risk. There's also been a rise in suicides. If you just do a quick Google search on celebrity deaths due to drug use and suicide, the list is astronomical. There have been two recent popular movies, Elvis Presley and Whitney Houston. Both icons in music industry both died with drug-related issues. According to Libreal.com, they summarize the state of our culture today when Everything on the outside, we have all the latest and greatest technology. We're the richest nation in the world. Everything points to a better life today than in years past. But LiveReal.com points to many different factors that tell a different story. Addictions are up. Suicides are up. Anxiety is up. Depression is up. Rates of happiness are down. Anti or anxiety and antidepressant medications are up. Pills that claim to help you do things like sleep, physical intimacy, and pay attention are up. Deaths from alcohol, drugs, and suicide are now at the highest level since record-keeping began. There appears to be an epidemic of loneliness and a breakdown of trust. In a world and in a culture that seems to have it all, that has progressed to new heights, why are we less happy? Why are we less healthy? Why are we more depressed and more self-destructive? It's because meaningless leads to hopelessness. Meaningless leads to hopelessness. Feelings of hopelessness lead to an individual to lose interest in important objects, activities, or events. Someone who has become hopeless may no longer value things they once thought were important. Life begins to lose meaning, and the emotion that's associated with hopelessness is a lack of inspiration, as well as feelings of powerlessness, helplessness, abandonment, captivity, oppression, and isolation. Numerous studies indicate hopelessness is closely linked to poor mental, emotional, and physical health. Feelings of hopelessness can lead to an individual to lose interest, again, in important activities, events, or people. Someone who's become hopeless may no longer value what was once important. Life, again, loses its meaning as emotion is often associated with these things. And so we look at our world today and we think we have everything, but yet we have nothing. God doesn't exist, but we can't figure out anything in life that can give us hope and that can give us meaning. And the Word of God actually has been speaking this reality for thousands of years. In Job chapter 8, verses 9 through 14, here's what the, the Word of the Lord says. It says, For we are but of yesterday, and we know nothing. 
For our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words out of their understanding? Can papyrus grow where there is no marsh? Can reeds flourish where there is no water? While yet in flower and not cut down, they wither before any other plant. Such are the paths of all who forget God. The hope of the godless shall perish. His confidence is severed and his trust is a spider's web. What God is speaking to us here, beloved, is that the old ways are not always out of touch. There is wisdom in the ancient paths and the ancient roads. There are necessities because they are necessary. There are necessities because they are necessary. Just like a papyrus plant or a reed cannot grow where there is no water, they need much water to grow so a soul without God cannot flourish. You may look like you have it all together, but at the end, there is destruction. And their hope will perish. Why? Because what they hope in cannot save them. What they hope in cannot sustain them. Some hope in people. You know, there's this little thing that's happening later today. It involves, like, some groups. Typically, they're mad at each other. They like to run into each other as hard as they can, try to get further. It's kind of like tug of war, but without the rope, you know. And some of us look up to these athletes and really revere them. Like the team gives them hope. But, you know, they're just people. I mean, it was here recently that a basketball player was killed. It's been all over the news. And many of these guys with fame, with fortune, and money are still doing drugs, still getting in trouble, still having problems. Many of these people we're going to cheer on today that the team wins. And I don't know if you're for Kansas City or for Philadelphia. Honestly, I want Philadelphia to win, even though I grew up in Missouri. Because I just think Patrick Mahomes is overrated. He's better than me. That makes him overrated. But no, I think Kansas City will probably pull it out, but I'm hoping for Philadelphia to win because I feel like they're due. But when we put our hope in people, we're easily disappointed. Some of you put hope in your spouse or put hope in your groups of friends. Some of you put hope in a president of the United States of America and your political leaders. Some put hope in their government. Some put hope in their medication. Some put hope in entertainment. But at the end of the day, all of those ways fail. And the Word of God says it's like a spider's web. Like I love when the Word of God uses metaphor, uses pictures, because it helps us really understand like, the communication. What is God saying? Well, what is a spider's web? Do you know how intricately designed and woven the spider's webs are? Like there's so many different kinds too. And they spend all that time Sewing a web or weaving a web for me just to walk through it and wreck it in a half a second. Nope, we're getting rid of that. We're getting rid of that, right? But when you look at them, they're beautiful. They're gorgeous. When you look at them under like those close-up pictures, it's like, wow, that's a, that's a miracle of God that anything could build something like that. It's attractive to the eye. It's an artistic wonder. And we have many things like that in our world. We have many things that to the eye, man, they're attractive. They, they have this luster. They have this allure. They're a wonder to behold. But just like a spider's web, do you know a spider's web is designed to kill? 
You run into it, and it gets, you get tangled up in it. You get stuck so that the spider can eat. So are many things in the world. They're attractive. They're alluring. They draw your attention only to entrap you and to destroy you. And so is the hope of those without God. See, if fame and fortune were enough, if it were the height of the human pursuit, if they were what brought ultimate fulfillment, shouldn't it satisfy the soul? Shouldn't it satisfy us? Then why all the drug use and all the needless death? It's because those pursuits are grown out of ground without water. It has nothing to sustain. It's a fool's hope. You know, there's a man that the Bible talks about who is a really famous guy. He loved the Lord with all of his heart. And God came to him one day. He's the only guy in the Bible I think ever this ever happened to. God said, look, I'm not a genie, but I'm giving you one wish. You can ask for me anything that you want. You can have it. And he doesn't ask for wealth. He doesn't ask for fame. He doesn't ask for riches or experiences. He, the only thing he asked for was wisdom. Because he was about to be crowned king of Israel, and he knew he wasn't smart enough to do the job. So he asked God for wisdom, and God said, because you asked for wisdom and nothing else, not only am I going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you everything else you could have asked for. God made him wealthier than any other king on the planet. God made him more famous, so much so that, that kings and queens would travel from nations just to come and sit and listen to him talk. He made him so wise and so intelligent that he could speak about any issue, anything, even how the trees grow and the life cycle of water. And, and people were astounded at the wisdom of Solomon. God not only gave him all these things, he also gave him a wife. Matter of fact, Solomon ended up with like 600 wives and like 300 concubines. He got so tired of getting married, he just started moving them in. And over time, this guy that had it all got discontent, and he drifted away from God. And he wrote a book about his journey apart from God. It's called the book of Ecclesiastes. Let me encourage you, do not read that book if you're depressed. Life's meaningless. It's all vanity. I built these great homes. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> All my friends, we went to the, this new club and we had a time. Sucked. Stupid. Pointless. Meaningless. It's all meaningless. I put my mind to understand knowledge. I put my life to understand pleasure. I give myself to everything to know riches. I did everything I could experience in this world and I come away and it's all meaningless. There's no point to any of it. And as he goes through the book, as he's talking about the meaningless of life and all the things that he did and all of his experiences, you can see how he's aging through the process as his heart begins to turn. And at the end, the very last passage in the book, he begins to sum up the findings of his research, his scientific endeavor about the purpose and meaning of life. After he's looked at everything and saw the meaningless of everything, he writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, the end of the matter... This is what I've, I've discovered out of I've experienced and I've lived through all of this stuff. I've followed every false God you could find. I've done everything any human could possibly give himself to do. Here's the end of the matter. It's all been heard. I've heard it all. 
You're not going to teach me anything new. Here's what the end of the matter is. Fear God and keep his commandments. Everything else leads to hopelessness and meaninglessness. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of mankind. Revere God. Obey what he said. There is only one hope, one purpose, one divine pursuit. It is the presence in the heart of Almighty God. It is to know God and be known by God. That is the purpose of life. Paul in Romans chapter 11, this verse, man, this tugged at my heart this week. Romans 11, 33 through 24, or 34. Paul says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord to be his counselor. God is so much bigger, so much greater than we can even comprehend. The greatest quest for the human mind, the greatest discovery of the human heart, our greatest aim for the human life is the depth of the knowledge of God. It's knowing the heart of God and knowing his will for our lives. It's having a relationship with almighty God. Can you imagine having a relationship with Almighty God? That's why in Psalm 14, 1, it says, A fool has said it in his heart, there is no God. A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, this isn't, this isn't a condemnation. This isn't a criticism. This is a fact. A fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Why? Because they're corrupt. They do abominable, deed, abominable deeds, and there's none who does good. You see, apart from the knowledge of God, everybody does what's right in their own eyes. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. There's no standard. So anything goes. And that's what we're battling in our world today as we are removing God from the scene, from the culture. We're seeing a transition away from what we once knew into whole new arenas in Revelations. We can just make up our own morality because everybody's opinion is equal to the next. When you remove God, you remove the point of life. You remove the purpose and meaning of all things. And you create a meaningless life. And a meaningless life leads to a hopeless life. And a hopeless life is a self-destructive life. That's so why Job 8 again, it declares such paths of all who forget God, the hope of the godless shall perish. So nothing those apart from God pursue can they fully trust because none of it will last or sustain. Nothing truly satisfies. Psalm 65, 5 says, by awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth. Somebody say the hope of all the earth. The hope of all the earth. The psalmist is declaring who God is. He answers with righteousness. He's our salvation. He is the hope of all the ends of the earth, even to the farthest seas. There is one hope in this world, and that is God Almighty. It is God Almighty. That's why Proverbs 13, 12, if you remember anything, remember this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. 
but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. When you have your hope in something and it's deferred, it's set aside, it's delayed, it makes you sick in your soul. It makes the heart sick. So if God is the hope of all the earth and we remove God from the equation, we're just walking around with a spiritual pandemic. And it's self-destructive. But when a person wakes up to the reality of what their hope is and who their hope is, that they can have hope. They can have purpose. It's like a well-watered ground and a tree of life sprouting up produces infinitely more fruit in their life. What we see in our culture is an ever-progressing atheistic world losing hope. But, beloved, it doesn't have to be that way because we do have hope. And the hope we have is a monumental hope. And it's Jesus. He fulfills. He sustains. He strengthens. And he keeps every promise he makes. John eleven twenty five, 25, he's speaking to, again, Mary and Martha. And Jesus says to, to them, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So my question to you is, do you believe this? Do you believe he's the resurrection and the life? See, he doesn't say we won't experience trials and troubles. He doesn't say we won't die physically. He says, though he die, he shall live, which means there's something beyond this life worth hoping for, worth believing for, worth expecting for, worth living for. There's something beyond this life. So though you might have trouble here, you can have goodness here. You can have blessing here, but there's something coming. It's eternal life, and it's found through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you were to look up, do a quick search on the top five religions, and you were to see how do you get to heaven, how do you get, what is the hope of each religion, the, the top four, Christianity is one of them, top four in Buddhism, there's no concept of punishment or reward. There's no divine being who decides who goes to hell or heaven. There's merely the, merely the illusory results of our thought, words, and deeds they call karma. It's just the byproduct of what you do. If you do good, you'll get good. If you do bad, you'll get bad. In Hinduism, salvation for the Hindu can be achieved in one of three ways. The way of works, the way of knowledge, or the way of devotion. The way of works is human effort. The way of devotion, it's, it's devotion to your religion. They call it karma marga. It's the path to salvation through religious duty. Then they have the way of knowledge. By achieving so much knowledge, you can arrive to enlightenment. Another way of achieving salvation is this, this sense of knowledge. Now, King Solomon, we just talked about him, who spent his whole life acquiring knowledge. Here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 12, 12, before he ends his book about the fear of God. He says, my son, be aware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. In other words, he's saying, you'll never get to the point where you learn it all. It's a never-ending quest. You can keep searching. You can keep studying. Matter of fact, we learn more every day than we've learned in, in the last 20 years. I think they say our knowledge increases, duplicates, triples every few seconds. So every minute we get smarter. But apart from God, every second we get dumber. Technologically speaking, every minute we get smarter. But spiritually we get dumber. Apart from God. 
So the Hindus, they can learn all that they want. They can, they can have the greatest scientific advancements. They'll never get to enlightenment because there's always something else to learn. There's always something to disprove, something to discover. You've heard it said, you're too smart for your own good sometimes. When I was little, my mom would always tell me, you're too big for your britches. You know what that means? You're so smart, no one can tell you anything. And the quest for knowledge is the same thing. We're so smart, we're so wise, our hearts have become cold. And no one can tell you anything. So the pursuit of total, total knowledge is a fool's errand because it can't be done. The Hindus are completely self-reliant. In Islam, Muslims believe they get to paradise by living religiously, asking Allah for his forgiveness and showing good actions in their life, that their good actions will be rewarded on the last day. But Muslims, too, are self-reliant because there's no guarantee of salvation. Allah will just figure it out. In Sikhism, Sikhs believe that upon death, you just merge back into the universal nature. It's like Star Wars. You become one with the force. There's no, nothing beyond this life. You just merge back in to the, to the, the all power that guides and in, in, uh, leads everything. That heaven is experienced by being in tune with God while you're still alive. So Sikhs believe that there, there is, this is all there is. So live it up while you have breath. In Judaism, the Jews believe the path to heaven is in keeping the law, keeping the commandments, irregardless of the condition of their heart, because the covenant of God covers you as a Jew. So keeping the law keeps you in God's good graces, but even the law, the Old Testament, says that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags, and there is none righteous, no, not one. So if keeping the law made us righteous, then we're all in trouble. The only hope we have is Jesus Christ. He is the only guarantee. Hebrews 16, 19 says he's like the anchor for our soul. It's sure, it's steadfast, it's trustworthy and true. It's something that we can fully rely on to keep us secure. That we can put our faith in Jesus and not worry about whether he's going to be faithful because God is faithful. He cannot lie. And many of us, we've, we've been in church a while. We, we've heard different studies. There's a popular uh, passage in Ephesians 6 about the armor of God. And often when you talk about being steadfast, being sturdy, being strong, we talk about the armor God gives us. The, and many of us could probably quote it from memory. What's the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of what? Truth, the feet, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit. We talk about standing firm against the attacks of the enemy and standing firm in the days of trouble. But this helmet, the helmet of salvation, is not just a helmet of salvation. Paul describes it a little differently in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. Here's what he says. He says, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the what? The hope of salvation. So it's not just salvation, it's not just having your sins forgiven, but the helmet is the hope of salvation. It's the hope of salvation. Somebody say the hope of salvation. What protects your head is the helmet. The way to your heart is through the doorway of your mind. 
And so you guard your mind to keep protecting your heart. That's why Proverbs says, guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. The way to your heart is through your head. What you think will affect what you believe. So the helmet of salvation is placed upon the believer so that their heart can be protected in his righteousness. Come on now. I'm going somewhere. So it's not just being saved. It's the hope that salvation brings. The helmet is not just in being a a child of God or being a believer. What protects you is the hope that salvation brings. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He caused us to be born again to what? To a, a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's a living hope. Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. I love how God keeps our inheritance in heaven. I was just having a little argument with my son before church today, asking me for cash. Scott got to hear it. Asher's always asking me for cash. She wants two bucks for the vending machine. And I never have cash on me, so it's a family disappointment, I guess. And we're arguing back about whether I should have cash or just have the debit card back and forth. And I told them, the reason why I don't have cash is because cash burns a hole in my pocket. If I have it, I will spend it. I already swiped the card enough. I don't need to have cash on me. I'm glad God has our inheritance in heaven because I would probably squander it if it was in my possession here on earth. I'm glad it's coming and that it's not fully here yet because it remains undefiled and unfading, kept in store for you. There's something coming for you. Verse 5, who by God's power... It's being guarded through what? Through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. Beloved, do you know that this isn't all there is? There is something coming. There's something glorious on the horizon. Our hope is not just in having a good day here on earth. It's not just for now or the time being, but there is a then coming. There is a then coming where our inheritance is awaiting for us, where one day we're going to be blessed with a monumental hope, a hope that's unshakable, that's unperishable. It's a living hope. Through our faith in Christ, when he comes, we're going to receive this hope, and this hope doesn't cause despair. It causes overwhelming joy. Verse 6, he says, in this you rejoice You rejoice. This living hope we have brings about joy. It causes worship. It's why we celebrate. It's why we gather on Sundays and throughout the week. There is a joy spilling up over the church, being produced in the church. Why? Because of the hope that is coming. He says, for now, a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. In this life, you're going to break. In this life, you're going to struggle. In this life, you're going to cry. There are various things that are coming. Why? Verse 7, to test the genuineness of your faith, to see how strong your faith really is. But the more precious, the more you're tested, the more precious it becomes like gold that's perishes through it's tested by fire. 
that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is not wasting the pain in your life. He's not, he's not letting you go through things for a meaningless purpose. No, there's purpose to your pain. There, there's a meaning to your mess. God is doing something in it. He's creating in you a faith that's unshakable, a faith that is strong, a, a confidence in God and in His promises. He's doing so to bring about a living hope so that though we go through trials now, our faith is a hope-filled faith that keeps us looking forward, marching forward with joyful expectation of all God has promised. This world doesn't have this kind of hope. Other religions do not have this kind of hope. Paul, even in 1 Corinthians 15, we're not going to look there, but he hinges the entire argument on the genuineness of our faith on this one thing. He said, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then everything we're doing and what we believe is pointless. It's meaningless. It's a waste of our time. And he says, and if that's the case, we're to be pitied more than all of the rest of humanity. Can you imagine? If there was something that happened that just made you wake up to the reality to see, you know what? This just isn't true. How would your life change? What would you do? Who would you become? This is happening to people all over the world. They don't call it apostasy. What they call it is detransition. They call it dismantling. And it's a trend. And they look at what they were taught as children, and they look at what the world is offering, and they're deciding, I'm going to believe in something else. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, it's like, if that's the case, then why not? Because if it's not true and we believe this stuff, we're stupid. You ever heard that term? You idiot. That's how we would feel if we found out that none of this was true. And Paul's saying, and you know what? You should feel that way if it's not true. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, that's how we should all feel. But it doesn't stop there. He says in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, but in fact, but in fact, Fact. Somebody say, but in fact. But in fact. This is not a guess. This is not an assumption. This is not a philosophy. This is not just a good thing to think about. This is not just a plaque we have on our wall that we bought at Hobby Lobby on discount on Tuesdays. This is a fact. This is something you can take to the bank. You can guarantee. It's like an anchor for your soul. Sure and steadfast. Christ is raised from the dead. And if Christ has risen from the dead, it makes all the difference in the world. That's all that matters. Christ has risen from the dead. And Paul should know because he was on his way to kill Christians when he became the greatest Christian the world has ever seen. 
Because he encountered the risen Lord. Christ has risen from the dead. And because he's been raised, beloved, there's a great mystery. There's something that feeds the hope that we have in this day and this age. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, get ready for it. There's something coming. There's something for you. If the Spirit of God lives in you, who raised Jesus from the dead, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit of God that dwells in you. Beloved, there's a resurrection coming. There is a resurrection coming where we will leave this earth and be joined with Jesus in the air. We'll be changed in a twinkling of an eye. All sin will be gone. All brokenness will go. There'll be no crying, no shame, no sorrow, no pain, no abandonment, no rejection, no loneliness, no depression, no oppression. The devil's going to be slain. The grave is going to be shut. Hell is going to be set on fire. King Jesus will sit on the throne. And we will reign with him for all eternity. There is something coming. There's a hope. A blessed hope. And it keeps us moving forward. This hope gives life. It gives meaning to our struggles. And it's what shifts our focus off of our problems. And onto his victory. The last verse I want to share with you is the same thing Jesus shared with his disciples. In John 16, 33, he says, I've said all these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you're going to have tribulation. But take heart. I've overcome the world. And if he's overcome... So are you. So are you. You're going to make it. This monumental hope is a promise that if he overcame, we too are going to overcome. If he conquered, you're going to rise up in victory. If he was raised, you're going to rise too. If he made it, you can endure it. And every day you can cling to this hope because it gets you one day closer to the glimpse of his glory, to experience his goodness until the day we experience it in fullness. Beloved, if it weren't for the rain, we wouldn't enjoy the sun. If it weren't for hunger, we wouldn't enjoy being full. If it weren't for loneliness, we wouldn't appreciate the company of friends. If it weren't for sickness, we wouldn't appreciate being healthy. If it weren't for grief, we wouldn't appreciate comfort. If it weren't for struggle and pain, we wouldn't appreciate the good things and the good gifts and the great ways Jesus shows up every day, all day, and shows us how much he loves us. Yes, beloved, Jesus is worth waking up for. He's worth getting out of bed for. He's worth living for and even worth dying for. And whoever holds on to this hope will not be shaken. If you cling to this life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up this life and hold on to the life Jesus has in store for you, you're going to find a life worth living. Whoever gives up this life for God's sake, who surrenders all their worldly aims and attachments for his name, so that his glory can be revealed in them, are going to find a life worth living. You're going to find a life worth holding on to. You're going to have a soul that will flourish like trees planted by the rivers of water. 
And beloved, God is going to grant you eternal life. Yes, he's come to give us life and life overflowing. A life overflowing with monumental hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement today. As the music begins to play and we begin to transition into our time of prophetic ministry, God, I just want to thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. The world is looking for proof in all the wrong places. But God, we look to the one hope of all eternity. We look to the hope of the whole world. We look to the hope that is living, that is pure, that is sure, that is steadfast. God, we look to Jesus, our blessed hope. And God, I ask you right now for every heart that's heavy, that you begin to shift away from problems and put it on the person of Jesus Christ, our living hope. Jesus, we praise you today. We worship you today. God, we're heart sick for you. We're heart sick to see you with our own eyes and to hear you with our own ears, God. But until that day, Holy Spirit, we cling to you as you are the first fruits of that resurrection. You give us glimpses into the glory of God. And Holy Spirit, we say, come and fill us afresh. Fill us again. Come upon us in glory and power. God, use us to your satisfaction. May every person we meet and speak to and talk to know that they've met with God Almighty, not because we want to be great, but because we want you to be great in us and through us. God, I pray for the one here that doesn't know you as their personal Savior. They don't have a relationship with you. I pray, God, that before they leave here, Lord, they would just pray to you, asking you to forgive them of their sins. And asking you, Jesus, today to be their Lord and Savior. Lord, and we often, often overcomplicate things. We, we like religion because we like formulas and we like, we like easy things to understand. But God, you made this so easy. You said if we just turn away from sin and trust in you with all of our heart and we confess you as Lord and Savior, we can be saved. We can become a child of God. And we can have that promise, that eternal hope that you give to all who believe. God, I pray for the one battling a depression today. God, we pray that it's lifted right now in Jesus' name as we declare hope over them right now in the name of Jesus. That the chains of depression would break, the chains of anxiety would break, the chains of addiction would break, the chains uh, that are holding us down, God, would break, that you would set loose and set free the church of Jesus Christ, that we would be free to walk boldly as agents of the kingdom of God. God, I pray that we'd be filled with hope. Fill us with faith and fill us with hope. And now, God, we ask you to continue to speak. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind that understands and a heart ready to believe the words that you've spoken. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would come upon our prophetic team now. And that you would Blow upon their hearts. You give them wisdom and understanding to know and discern your voice. And God, I pray for each one that you speak to today. That it would be like good seed planted on good soil. That would begin to germinate a crop of righteousness, a crop and a fruit, God, that would bring glory to your name. Bless our time now, God, as we continue in this time of ministry. In Jesus' name.
us at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you, and God bless.